You know, when I think about the song they just sang, and I don't always know um, what song's going to be sung before I preach. As a matter of fact, most of the time I don't. Uh, but a lot of weeks, as they do a special or something like that, I have the thought, man, I'd hate to have to get up and preach right now. And I had to have a moment just a second ago to kind of gain my composure because when I think about my life and the time when I graduated and the subject that we're going to talk about today, the next couple of years of my life as a Christian, I kind of just cruised on. And it took a mountain. It took a desert. It took an event of tragedy in my life for God to stop me. And say, hey, what are you doing? So today is Graduate Sunday. And what I hope and pray is that over the next few minutes, that we can encourage these graduates. What I always love about a Graduate Sunday, and for the last decade, I've usually been standing at this position encouraging graduates. But any service I've ever been to, even if I didn't have someone in my family or someone that I knew close that was graduating, it always took me back to that time in my life. And so today we're going to talk about this concept of being a graduate. For those of you that are graduating high school, you know that you've worked the last 13 or 14 or 15 years towards this moment, right? And your parents have too. But you've put a lot of effort and energy and time and thought looking forward to this. And it's here. For the college graduates, for some of you, it's 18 years. For me, it was a long time. But you put a lot of effort into this moment when you will cross a stage. Some of the college graduates have already done that. And you will receive a diploma. High school graduates, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, you're going to cross a stage or a field or a basketball court. And you're going to receive a diploma. For me, this was a big moment at my college graduation. I was so excited about it. I didn't put any thought into it. But I actually jumped off the stage. <laughs> As that guy gave me that diploma. I don't know if I thought they were going to take it back from me. I don't know. But I was so excited. I cleared about nine steps with dress shoes on. And when my feet hit the floor, I slid about three feet. And I was just so excited at that moment. But... At that moment in life, we have to think about what comes next. In most typical situations, you celebrate, right? You go on a trip, you throw a party with family and friends, and you celebrate because this is a moment in life that's worth celebrating. It's something we should celebrate. But there becomes a time, it may be a month later, it may be a year later, there becomes a time in our life when the dust settles. The excitement and the looking forward to that moment is no longer there. College graduates, in just a few weeks, you'll start to understand what I'm talking about. And so we have to ask the question in our lives, then what? What do we do? For high school grads, some of them, in just a couple of weeks, will load a car up. They'll pack what things they want to take. They'll take off. Some of them will take a job or a position. But there's a moment where we have to ask the question, what's next? For parents, you've looked forward to this moment for some time now. But I ask the question to everyone today, then what's next? Life gets so busy. I tell our students often that in this stage of their life, when they're a junior high, grab a hold of as much truth about Scripture 
Grab a hold of God's plan in your life because this is as easy as life is going to get for you. There will be days ahead when you will have mortgages. You'll have a marriage. You'll have children. Life will be busy. And the foundation of who you are as a Christian needs to be built by the time you get to those moments. Or you may make choices and decisions that you live to regret. I had an opportunity to give a devotion to some students at a coffee shop in Gadsden several years ago. There was a group of students that would meet one night a week. And it was almost like they started a teenage church at this coffee shop. The coffee shop would close. And all these students, lots of students, would come in. And there was a week I had the opportunity to speak to these students. And I asked them the question, how do we make it? Those of us that live lives that are so stinking busy, how do we do it? You know, we've got 43 things in one day on our list to do. How do we make it from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed? And there's these things called habits. Everybody knows what a habit is, right? A habit takes... It said 21 days to form a habit. You do something for 21 days straight, and that becomes a habit. Well, we have habits in the way we do everything, don't we? Most of you got it this morning, and you got ready the same way you do every morning. You had the same cup of coffee. If you're like me, a lot of times you said it the night before, so it's waiting on you when you wake up. But we have these things called habits that that help carry us from one point to another. In your job, you do it. In our school, we do it. We, we have a certain way that we do things and a certain path we kind of follow. But for a moment, I want you, church, I, I'm talking to graduates today, but I want everyone to understand I'm talking to all of you. And that'll make a little more sense in a minute. For a moment, I want you to think of life as a journey, as a trip. For many of us, we get so focused on the destination of where we're going that we usually miss the sights and the sounds of the journey. Now, how many of you in here, do you have a GPS? When you go on a trip, you set the destination. And while you're driving, you got the GPS, whether it's on your phone or whether it's a Garmin or whatever it is. While you're driving, you kind of stare at it, right? Do any of y'all do that? You track your trip that way? You look at distance. You look at time. You look forward to that. And some of you, just like me, you got a little boy in the back seat that says, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? (laughs) But a lot of us in our life, we have a tendency to focus on the destination. And in the meantime, we lose sight of the journey. We miss things on the way. You know, kids this day and time, they have to have a movie playing. They have to have something doing that they have to do. Doing. I don't know if that's a word, but they have something they have to be doing. And with our little boy, Brittany and I often say, hey, look, Turn the DVD player off. Look outside. Look how pretty it is. Look at those trees. Look at that cow. You know, we just name random things for them to look at. But look outside and look at the journey. Enjoy the, the trip that we're on instead of just thinking about are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet. And so today we're going to talk about this idea. For many of you just like me, when you're on a trip, you hit the cruise control, Right? So you can just set it and forget it. And I understand it's a way to more effectively get from one place to another. My brother Micah uh, here lately has been really intrigued with this idea of flying an airplane. For those of y'all that know Micah, that scares you as much as it does me. But 
the idea of getting in a plane with Micah that goes off the ground, that has gravity working against you, just scares me. But he often has been telling me lately, but Seth, you don't understand, like planes now, and some of you that have flown, or that there's a couple of you that have a pilot license, he says planes now are rigged with equipment and safety features that make them probably more safe than the car you drive every day. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I hear that, but... I'm not sure I get what you're saying. Well, planes have this thing, and most of you have seen it on movies or you've heard about it, this thing that's called autopilot, right? Autopilot is a system used to control the trajectory of an aircraft without constant hands-on control by a human operator being required. Autopilots do not replace a human operator, but assist them in controlling the aircraft, allowing them to focus on broader aspects of operations such as monitoring the trajectory, weather, systems, and all that. So autopilot is, is something that's on an aircraft that allows the pilot to do other things while the plane just kind of flies on its own. Today, this is kind of the heart of what I want to talk to you about. See, most of us in our life, in our families, in our school, in our job, in our sports, we have a tendency to put our life on autopilot. To where we're just going through the daily routine. Why don't we do that? Because it makes it easier? Because we don't have to put as much effort forth? And here's the thing. is As important as these things are. As our job. As our sports. As our family. As important as these things are. Henry Church. None of those will have an effect on your eternal destination. Tonight we're going to talk, I mean today we're going to talk about our faith. And we're going to talk about those of us that live our life, graduates you hear me? We live our life on autopilot. Just a moment ago while Micah was singing and he was talking about these mountains and these deserts that we face. I think about my life. When I graduated high school, listen to me, my Christian life, I hit autopilot. As I move, as I Started school at Jacksonville State University because I thought Gadsden State was too close to home. Jacksonville was just a few miles further. But I, I can trace the events of my life over the next couple of years. And I can look, as a Christian, there was no growth. As a Christian, I was on autopilot. And I was kind of just going through the motions. And the sad thing is, because of that, I made choices that I have to live with. That I've had to ask forgiveness for. And I ask you in this room today, as a mom, as a dad, someone who holds a position at your job, are you guilty of that? And as important as those things are, they don't have eternal value. So as a Christian, when God looks at your life and the markers of the things that He's seen in your life, does it seem like you're on autopilot? You see, as a Christian, I believe that we have a tendency to live the Christian life this way. This is the greatest reason that most of this world have no desire to be like us. Listen to me. Because daily, we just, we look just like them. We're on cruise control. We're Christian robots. So that makes it easier to come and go, to get from place to place, from one place to another, to reach our destination without having to put the effort forth and to do the best that we can do in this Christian life. Today we're going to read a scripture. 
of the book of Colossians that a guy named Paul wrote. Colossians chapter 3. This is a simple and a practical way that he addresses issues of the people in this church. He writes to these people to correct and confront some lies and some false teachings. When I read some of his writings, this is the way I like to think about it. If I were to go on a mission trip, say to Nicaragua, which I've had the chance to do a couple times, and if I were there sharing the gospel and they were to throw me in jail, and I'm there, I know that I'm not going anywhere, they're not going to let me out, and Sean Smith were to come visit me, I'm just sat up real straight and tall like, oh boy, he said my name. If Sean were to come visit me and he were to say, hey Seth, um, some things are going down at the church that are just kind of crazy. Um, for some reason, somebody's been teaching uh, the people in our church that if life gets tough, that the, the number one thing that we need to do is just commit suicide. And the reason I even say that is because, listen church, this issue is as big now in this society than it has ever been before. I have conversations daily about this. But if Sean were to come to me while I'm incarcerated in jail, here's what would happen. My heart would break for these people. Just like our pastor's heart breaks for you. Just like Miss Donna's heart and Micah and mine. And the reason I know that is because we sit in the staff meeting every week and we talk about you and we pray for you. We discuss the issues and we discuss the direction that God wants to lead us as a staff for this church. We always make the right decisions. Maybe not. We pray about it. We search for God. But our heart burdens for you. And if I were in a place in my life. When I couldn't physically reach you. I would write a letter. Just like Paul wrote in this book right here. He wrote a letter to a church. That were being taught lies. And so instead of attacking. In this section. In chapter 3. Instead of attacking it from a church standpoint. Or a southern Baptist standpoint. He, he goes about it by talking to the family, by talking to all the aspects of a family in this time frame, in this region. And this is what he says. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he says, in word or deed, he says, in everything you do, and he'll kind of repeat this in just a second, but he says, in everything you do, and what you say and how you live, do it for God in the name of Jesus. Because in our life as Christians, that will take care of a lot of issues. But then he goes, in this next little section of verses, 18 through 24, he, talks, he is talking to the Christian home. And in this in these next couple of verses, he identifies every member of the household. He starts out, verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your own husband as it is fitting to the Lord. Now, I could preach a whole other sermon on this, which I'm not going to today. But what he's saying right here, in a simple sense, the reason he says submit to your husband is because that is practice for how we should submit our lives to the Lord. He's saying to a wife, the way that you submit yourself to your husband is the way that you, as a Christian, should submit to God's leadership in your own life. Then he goes next and he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. 
you notice that he doesn't tell that to the, to the wives. You know why? Because women have an easier time loving. As men, we need to be reminded, love your wife. Because that love for her will take care of a lot of things in your marriage and in your family. And then he says, because you do this, it will teach you as a husband of how to love God and how to serve Him. He goes to the next position. And some of you parents are going to want to amen right here, whether you do or not. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. He tells the child, it's time to start being obedient to your parent. This is a concept that I spend a lot of time on Wednesday nights with our teenagers every year telling them, hey, you need to obey your parents. I don't care if you disagree with them. I don't care if you don't get why they're... I mean, how many of you, your kid has said why to you at least three million times? You say something and they just say why. Well, we've been working on with Reed, and I just heard Brandy say to Danny Ray the other day, we're working on doing things the what? What, Brittany? The first time. We don't want to have to ask you again and again. We don't want you to ask why. He, he tells the, the children this. Children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. This act of obedience, of learning as a child to become obedient, will carry over to your life as a Christian. Because when God tells us to do something, it's not always easy and we don't want to do it. But if you learn the concept of being obedient as a child, as you're growing in the safety of your home, then we will learn as a Christian to be obedient when God asks or tells us to do something. And then he goes... To the fathers. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I know as a dad, we want to be hard on our kids. Because we feel like that's our role. And sometimes they need it. But, but what he's saying here is be patient. Don't provoke them. Our kids need encouragement. There's enough of this world that will beat them up for who they are and the choices they make. As a father and the leader of our home, we should encourage them. And then he says to the bondservant or the slave. Remember, he is identifying each member of a household. He says to the servant or the slave, he's making sure he covers everybody who might be reading or listening to this passage. He says, obey in all things your master according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. He says to this servant in the household, I know that you may want to do what is required of you while you're being watched, but do it anyways. Do it when no one's watching. And do it as you're doing it unto the Lord. Because that creates a pattern of actions in our life to where we serve God no matter who's watching. So many of us as Christians, as we hit the autopilot or the cruise control button, we serve God easily on Sundays while we're in this building. But the rest of the week, it's a little more difficult, isn't it? But here's the heart of what I want to talk about today. And in this portion, he sums up every reader. Every person who opens this letter to read this, he sums it up very simply. He says, and whatever you do. Doesn't that cover most anything? He says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that in everything you do, in all your choices, in all your decisions, in everything you do in life, do it for the God. The, the phrase wholeheartedly or heartedly. As Christians, what you do in this life should be motivated by your love for God and your love for others. It's time that we stop basking in our selfish, self-centered lifestyles and start having Christ-like compassion for other people. Listen, we live in a society and in a world that everything about social media, everything about advertisements of products points to us as the consumer. And so everything around us teaches us that our world and ourselves should be most important. But what he says in this scripture is that everything we do, we don't do for us. We do it for a God that's greater than us. That we need to have a compassion and a love for other people that drives us to be active in their life. To intervene in moments when they need encouragement and when they need God. He says to do that not just for the people around us, not just for your co-workers, but for your own home. Should we celebrate accomplishments in this life? Absolutely. In this church, we often brag on our students because our students have accomplished some amazing things. And we know that that, that positive reinforcement, they deserve because they've worked hard towards it. Should we celebrate it? Absolutely. There are moments in life that should be celebrated. These are huge moments. However, I want to ask the question this morning. When God looks at the span of our lives, what moments are notable to Him? That verse said, do everything we do wholeheartedly. Do everything we do to the greatest of our ability. And I can't tell you how many times in my lifetime my mama said that verse to me. Well, Seth, whatever you're doing, the Bible says to do it with all your might. Oh, no, Mom, but it's history or science or whatever it is. If it's a job you don't like, if it's something you don't want to do or somewhere you don't want to be, it doesn't matter. Scripture says, Paul says, to do it as you're doing it unto God. And at the end of that chapter, in the end of that, these set of verses, he says, You will receive a reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. An inheritance that we in our earthly minds can't really imagine. Because everything we see is physical. When we look at our bank account, it's, it's in cents, isn't it? And dollars. Most of what we see in this life is in front of us. But to understand the idea that we are investing in an eternal destination a hard concept for some of us especially when it comes to our daily choices so should we celebrate the notable things in our lives like championships like graduations absolutely but when God looks at the span of our lives and what are the moments that are notable to him when I've been thinking about this group of graduates and the other day I thought about that. I thought, you know, what are a couple of the, of the moments in these students' lives that have been notable to God? I remember a couple years ago I was standing right here. And a young man that 
since I've seen win a couple state championships. I've seen him accomplish some amazing things, but he came to me that morning. When he said, I don't want to fight anymore. And a week later, we stood up there. As brave as I've seen him on the ball field, he was nervous as he could be to step in that baptistry. I think about the moments when a young man upstairs on a Wednesday night named Rolando, I gave an opportunity to become a Christian. And he raised his hand. And after the service, I went to him and I said, did you mean that? And he said, yeah. He said, absolutely. I think about in the park a little over a year ago, as I had the opportunity to fill, I don't know what it was, a feeding trough or something up with muddy Piedmont city water. And I had the opportunity to baptize a couple guys. And as East disappeared in that water, these are moments that are notable. These are moments that when God sees them, He marks them. He bookmarks them. The night that Matthew Haney walked up to me in a service where he was serving, he was doing the media, and there was a moment when Micah said, hey man, I've got this. And as he stepped away from his responsibility, God spoke to him. And God said, I want you to serve me with your life. Matthew walked to me and he said, man, God's called me to ministry. Those are the moments that are notable. And so I ask you, as a church member, as a visitor, whomever you are, what are the moments in the span of your life that God has marked as notable? Should we celebrate the big moments in our life? Absolutely. Because we deserve it. But at some moment, the dust will settle. At some moment, the accomplishment of that diploma, it'll be on a shelf somewhere. And we have to ask the question, what next? God, what do you want me to do? Church, what impact are you having on the lives of those around you? What platforms are you using? What jobs, what positions, what promotions, what relationships are you taking full advantage of in striving to have an eternal impact? Are you on autopilot? Is your Christian life on cruise control? Your family, your job, your positions? What about your faith? Have you stopped this week and looked around you at the sights and the sounds of the journey, at the people who need God's love, and the faces with no hope of eternal comfort. When is the last time you told someone the truth recorded in the most accurate historical book ever written? When's the last time you told somebody the truth of this book? Number one, that God loves them. Number two, that Jesus died to take their place. And that their death sentence. Number three. That over 500 eyewitnesses saw him after raising from the dead. And that God wants to forgive them of their sin. And give them a purpose. And that he wants to give them a meaningful life. Both here and after. Graduates, congratulations on your accomplishments. It should be celebrated. This week it will be celebrated. But after you get that diploma, there will be a moment when you have to ask, now what? When the dust settles, 
Who are you going to become? What are you going to do? To mark spots in the history of your life that God will see. Heads bowed, eyes closed. In response time today, here's what I want to do. Um, I hope that the graduates today have been encouraged and inspired by this simple message. But I hope you as a church will take an accurate look at your life as a Christian. Number one, is it even existent? Does your faith in your life and your obedience lay in the hands of a God that allowed His child to die for you? Are you a Christian? If you are, let me ask you this question. What does your Christian life look like this last week? What does it look like this last month? Listen, I'll be the first to tell you, it's easy to get in a routine. It's easy to just kind of coast from event to event. But what God is calling us to do is so much more than that. He's wanting us to stop and to look around us. To see the needs of the people that are hurting. He gave you that promotion to put you in the life of someone that needs Him. He gave you that platform and that success so that you would share it in His name and in His honor. As a dad, He has blessed you with the people that live in your household. As a child, you may not agree with them or whomever you're living with, but He's put you there for a purpose and a reason. And God is calling us to be extraordinary. He is calling us to be people that live a life to make a difference. So I want to ask you this question as we transition into our response time today. Does your Christian life look like it's on cruise control? Or are you actively living every day of your life to make a difference? I'm going to pray when I say amen. Brother Michael, who has a heart for you, whether you know it or whether you agree with me or not, he has a heart for you. Because I talked to him about it. He's going to be standing up here. And he would love to have the opportunity to introduce you to a God that allowed his son to die for you to take your place. Miss Donna will be up here. If you need someone to pray with, she's a prayer warrior. And I'm going to be here. But I want to call everyone out today. It doesn't matter if you're graduating or not. But I want to ask you, what does your life look like? Have there been markers over the last week or month or year that God has seen and noted where you've been obedient to Him? God, I thank You for the opportunity to proclaim Your Word today. I pray, God, that You have spoke to hearts in a way that I can't, but You can. And at this moment, God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would place conviction on the hearts of those that need it. God, I pray that you would speak loud and clear to the ones in this room that need to hear from you and that they would answer your prayer today. God, give them the courage to lay their burdens at your feet at this altar. Give them the courage to cry out to you to save them from their sins this day. And these graduates, God, you lead them in days ahead. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand.